1858, the Scotsman John G. Patton set out for the New Hebrides Islands there in the South Pacific, somewhere in the area of East Australia, to the east of Australia. He and his wife were entering a challenging land. The first missionaries that arrived literally were killed on contact as they arrived on the shores. The people that they were going to reach have not heard the name of Jesus, and they are savages and cannibals. Soon after arriving in um, February of that 1859, he and his wife have a child, and things go good for a few moments, seemingly. But by March 3rd, she is struck with fever and a sudden attack of pneumonia, and she dies. Seventeen days later, on March 20th, 1859, John G. Patton buries his son. He dug the grave of his wife and his son with his own hands. I would like to tell you that in light of this, that things went well for John G. Patton, but they did not. In fact, his conversions of those who responded to the gospel were basically non-existent except for one tribal chief. That tribal chief was there to often warn him of the danger. You see, he lived under constant threat of danger and death from the tribal people. Things go from maybe a little bit better at times to a lot worse. And finally, at the end of four years, they've redoubled their attacks. The plan is to kill John Patton. As he awaits for the ship to come, they surround him there on the shore, literally egging one another on to strike the first blow. He later writes these words. My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevail to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ who is all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. John Patton would later return and have a much greater influence seemingly for Christ. But today I want to come and proclaim to you that the God that Jesus Christ, the God who John Patton knew, the God of heaven and earth, the one who had all power over nature, this Jesus whom he knew, I proclaim unto you this hour. Maybe today you wonder, how could God allow a missionary like that to experience such heartache, such storms? Maybe you've also wondered, how could God allow me to experience the storms that I have found myself in? Where is he? What's his intent with the things that rage around my life? Is he even present? Today, I want to compel you in light as we continue making our way through the gospel of Matthew. Today, we come to Matthew 14, 22 to 33. I want you to see that there is a call to trust Christ in the midst of the storms. There is a call to obey Christ even in the midst of the storms. And beloved, might we find the grace to even worship Christ in the midst of the storms. Turn with you would again to Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22, as we see this first truth come to us. We trust Christ because of His presence in the midst of the storms. 
we trust Christ because of his presence in the midst of storms. As you make your way there, remember the context. Matthew 14 has began with Jesus feeding the 5,000 from that Hebrew happy meal. Remember that? Five loaves, two fish. And he fed 5,000 men. That doesn't account for all the, the women and children, maybe fifteen to 20,000. After this miracle, John 6 records it. And John 6 says to us that the people intended to come and make Jesus king by force. Because they're like, if he can do this, he can throw off Rome. He can bring the kingdom as we want it and as we think it should be. But Mark 6 also records this account. Again, outside of the resurrection, the feeding the 5,000 is the only miracle that happens in all four Gospels. And Mark 6 records this in verse 52. It said that despite this great miracle of feeding the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish, it said the disciples did not understand because their hearts were hardened. But yet this miracle that's coming to us today, the encounter with the water walker, changes them. It leads them to a place that they had not ever been before. It's an amazing moment, and it begins by the trusting of Christ, even in the presence of the storm. Look what it says, beginning in verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. You have to understand right there again, he's sending them. They're traveling from east to west. In the west is a mountainous region as where they're headed to, Bethsaida. Beyond the western mountains there lies the Mediterranean Sea. And the Mediterranean Sea would often push in this strong wind. And as it would hit this mountainous region, it would become like a tunnel and literally release havoc upon the Sea of Galilee. That's where the disciples have found themselves. Notice he says also in verse 25, it is now the fourth watch of the night. That, according to Roman time, would be between 3 and 6 a.m. These disciples have been out all night fighting this storm. And can't make it across. And then in the midst of that, verse 26 says, as the disciples are walking on the sea, they're terrified and say, it's a ghost. Why? Because it defies logic. I mean, no man, we know. I mean, if you put something heavy enough in water, it does what? It sinks. This defies logic. No man can walk upon the water. This must be a ghost. But I think we need to ask a question also about verse 22. Look at me, Wood, again, just for a moment back there. Immediately, he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. The question is, who sent them into this storm? Jesus. It's a moment we all need to pause for a moment to take that in. I think it's important to ask that because we love the fact that God is the one who quiets the storms. And yet he is the one here sending them into it. I mean, you've probably heard at some point in your life, the safest place to be is in the center of what? Of God's will. But what do you do when the center of God's will is a storm? These guys have obeyed Jesus. They've done what he said to do. And now they've been out here in this storm raging all night. Might it remind each of us today that certain storms are in fact a part of God's will for our lives. In fact, he's using every storm as a part of his plan because it's, I believe it's in the storms that God doesn't not only do something for you, more importantly, I think God does something in you. 
Might we hear the words from the prophet Isaiah in the 43rd chapter, beginning in verse 2, as he says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Notice what he says. He says you're going to pass through the waters, and you're going to walk through the fire. If I'm honest today, I want a God, a Savior that's going to take me out of the water and around the fire. But that's not what Isaiah says. Look what it says again. He says, you're going to actually pass through the waters and I'm going to be with you in the fire. Right. It shows us that, listen, the waters and the fire of testing show us that God's presence is enough. He says, even in the midst of your greatest battles and storms, you can trust me. My presence is with you. As one pastor has said, faith leads us through difficulty, not around it. Hear that again. Faith leads you and I through difficulty, not around it. It's in these moments of this difficulty that we hear the Savior speak. Listen to this amazing statement. Again, they've cried out, it's a ghost, as they cry out in fear. And verse 27 of Matthew 14 is imperative that we listen and hear the Word of God. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be what? Do not be afraid. Don't lose sight of when he speaks those words. He speaks those words in the midst of the storm still raging. Jesus comes to you and I in the darkest times of our lives. And he says, I want you to know I'm here with you. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. So church, we don't lose heart. We can't throw in the towel. Why? Because Christ is present even in the storm. Hallelujah. We trust in Him and not our circumstances. We trust in Christ alone. Might this also be a reminder to us that God doesn't always prove His power by calming the storm, but instead He often chooses to calm you in the midst of the storm? God doesn't always show His power, right, by calming the storm like we would want and like for Him to, but instead He often displays His power by instead calming you or I in the middle of the storm. This moment is imperative, right? And, and some, depending upon your translations, you, you might have seen it there. But if not, I want to draw your attention to what's happening here behind the text. Look what he says. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. That statement, it is I. If you, if you look, some translations capture it, I, I think maybe a little bit clearer, or at least would have been imperative to disciples and others. He says to them, take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. Can you imagine what that might have meant to the disciples in that moment? Can you imagine? Remember, Matthew writes this gospel to a Jewish audience. When they hear the statement, take heart, I am. They may be like some of you. Their Old Testament background starts flipping and they find themselves at Exodus chapter 3. And Moses is there with this bush that's on fire and yet it's not consumed. And he goes closer wondering, how is this bush on fire and yet not burning up? And he hears that statement, Moses, listen, brother, you are on holy ground. Take off your shoes. It's there, he says to Moses, to a people that have been in 400 years of a storm known as Egyptian slavery and says, I want you to go, Moses, and tell my people that I'm going to let them go and tell Pharaoh it's time. And he says, well, God, if I go and tell them, 
Who am I going to say sent me? What's your name? And he says, you tell them my name is I Am. You see, that's the name that's sufficient for 400 years of a storm. It's the one name that was sufficient to a group of disciples on the Sea of Galilee that night. Beloved, if I might be so bold today, I might compel you. That's the one name, the name I am, that will be sufficient to you, to your household, this community, to the nations of our sufficiency in the midst of the storm. Jesus says the reason why you don't have to fear the storm is because I am. I'm present. I'm your strength. Listen, church, I don't know what you're facing today, but know this, that whatever it is, just like those waves on that sea on that night, the Lord Jesus Christ stands above your circumstances. He stands above that raging sea, walking upon it. Beloved, listen, I don't know what your storm looks like and how it may terrify and worry you. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a job that you desperately need. Maybe it's something relationally. Maybe it's a fear you have of sharing the gospel. And it just, it seems like too much for you. The storm is just too intense. I compel you today to trust Him. Don't be afraid. Trust Him. Take heart, He says. It is I. Do not be afraid. So first, we trust Christ because of His presence in the midst of the storm. Secondly, we obey Christ because of His power in the midst of the storm. I don't know if you caught it there, but trust and obey. Daniel Tauner, right, the 1800s music director, music director and also hymn writer who actually served a church in Covington, Kentucky, wrote the words to the hymn, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to what? Trust and obey. But it's the last hymn, the line of that hymn that I want to maybe just to draw your attention to just for a moment because Daniel Tauner writes these words. Oh, for grace to trust him what? More. We're about to encounter Peter's more moment. And guess what? It comes in the midst of the storm. Maybe right now you're in a more moment. The storm's raging. And you need more grace. I've got good news for you. The great I am is the merciful Savior. Listen in just for a moment. Listen to this. Peter answered him, verse 28, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, look what he says, come. Lord, notice what Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me. Right? I mean, the storm is raging at this moment, right? But he says, listen, Lord, you say the word, your command has authority even over the storm. Right? I mean, listen, I mean, think about that for a moment in your life. Do you, do you, do your feelings and emotions ever wreck you? You ever just get like discouraged or weary or afraid or confused? You just have moments when like your emotions just seem to wreck you. I want to compel you and I in the midst of those moments that it's there. That it's an opportunity for obedience. Lord, if it's you, and even in the midst of the storm, Lord, if it's you, you command me to come to you on the water. He says, you come, Lord. It's just this, again, this moment of of encouragement and hope. I mean, let's be honest. Don't we all want God to heal the storm by now? I mean, can you imagine the disciples? I'm sure they want the storm to go away by now. And yet it's still raging. Might it be a reminder to us that God often says to us, I'm not getting rid of the storm. But instead, I'm going to increase your faith in the middle of it. 
I'm going to, in fact, strengthen you to walk through the storm. I may get rid of it, yes, but, but not yet. Those are hard moments. But Peter says, even in those moments when the storm does not go away, obedience is still called. And so that Jesus says to him in verse 29, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. And he, listen, and he says he comes to Jesus. That's a moment of obedience. Peter gets out of the boat. Why? Because Christ has power even over the storms. I mean, it's a moment which, listen, beloved, you may experience Christ like a fresh way that you've never experienced. Why? Because God has allowed that storm to come and crash upon your life. And yet in that storm, he is going to strengthen you like he's never strengthened you before. Peter says, Lord, if it's man, if it's you, command me. And he says, come. And he gets out and he begins to walk on the water. What an absolutely amazing moment. But then verse 30, again, remember that refrain, oh, for grace to trust him what? Oh, yeah, listen to this. Here's some more. Peter's going to need it, just like you and I need it. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Have you not ever been there? The moment like when you think, man, like my faith is there. Like I, I, I'm going to walk through this. Things are getting better. I feel stronger, right? I mean, you just ever have those moments and then like the phone rings? And then that text message pops up. Then the doctor walks in and says, I'm sorry. We thought things were getting better. But I mean, you had that moment when you and the, you thought you and your spouse were coming back together. And then they finally say, I, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. The moment when you thought maybe that prodigal child of yours was finally back on the rails and things were going good. And again, that moment, things derail. You ever been there when you just thought, God, I don't know what to do. I thought I was doing good, but now I'm a wreck again. I don't know what to do, Lord. I seem like I'm sinking. The storm's getting greater. I want to compel you to one thing. Cry this, Lord, save me. That's a word that should come forth from the lips of every man and woman. It's the only hope we have, church. Has that ever proceeded from your lips? Have you made that good confession? Lord, you see your life. It's not going as you wish, as you had hoped. You're struggling with sin. You're derailed from what God has intended for you to live and honor Him. Church, I want to compel you in that moment to cry out, Lord, save me. Have you made that confession yet? It's, it's a moment of just hope. It's a moment of mercy that we all need. None of us are strong enough. The storm, it's just too much. And listen, beloved, if you think, I'm just not sure, Blake, I could, I'm just not sure. I know I need to, but I'm just not sure. Man, let verse 31 be like a kiss upon the cheek. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Friends, that is the I am. Yes, I praise God that he can feed 5,000. Yes, we praise God that he can walk upon the waters. Yes, we praise God that he has the power to even make Peter walk upon the water. Yes, we're going to praise God that he can even calm the storm. But beloved, listen, I want you to know one thing. Your God delights in saving sinners. He delights in showing love. He delights in speaking to you when you are sinking in your circumstances. He delights in showing mercy and grace, saying, You are struggling, yes, but I love you. I will take you up. I will strengthen you to come back up above these waves. It is a moment of mercy and grace. And listen, it says to speak a word to us as a church. 
oh, you, look what he says to Peter, but he also speaks to all of them, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt, he asked them. Do you see it? God is willing to show grace and mercy even when our faith fails. Today, if your faith is stumbling, that is not beyond the grace and mercy of God. Peter struggles and Jesus still shows mercy. There is hope for all of us today. No matter what you have done or where you have been, I compel you, let this be a reminder to you to come home. You see, I'm not sure that Matthew's primary point in this text is to tell us all to get out of the boat and walk on water. Yeah, I'm thankful for when those moments happen. But if I'm honest with you, i got a lot more moments of sinking than I do walking on water. I think, listen, this is just my conviction here, i got to think that Matthew wants us to pump the brakes a little bit and say this isn't so much an example to try, but instead a Savior to trust. Yes, by God's grace, we will walk through the fire. But beloved, we may stumble. And guess what? By God's grace, we will still continue. He's the one that sustains us. So beloved, this story, let it be a reminder to you. If your faith has stumbled, if you are weak today, let this be a reminder to you and to me. That there is a Savior to trust. There is a God who is merciful and gracious and willing to forgive. I'm reminded of mercy and grace this past Tuesday. I was there at lunch and Judah was sitting beside me doing some of his work. And he had wrote on top of one of his papers, write his name. I said, baby, but don't forget to write your name. And he begins to write his name, J-U-B-A. And he looks at me and is like, man, dad, I spelled my name wrong. I was like, well, you're a Jesse. Get used to it. We make a lot of mistakes. But I said, buddy, guess what? That's why you have an eraser. Church. You're going to make some mistakes. That's why we have an eraser, hallelujah. There is one who is merciful and gracious and willing to forgive and who can walk right away the deepest, darkest stain and sin of your life. He did it with His own blood, church. Might we hear in Psalm 94, verse 18, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, help me up. It's God who's the one who sustains us. It's the God who sustained Peter. It's the God who will sustain you. I compel you to cry out, Lord, save me. So this text reminds us of the call to trust and to obey. And third and last, we hear this. We worship Christ because of his victory over the storms. We worship Christ because of his victory over the storm. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand, verse 31, and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, listen to this statement, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The miracles at this point have piled up, haven't they? I mean, he's not only fed the 5,000, but now he's walked on water. He's empowered Peter to walk on the water. Now he's calmed the storm. And what is the response of the followers of Christ in that moment? What is it? Look what they do. It's worship. It's to fall down and worship him and acknowledge who he is. Right? That's what Moses did in the presence of the great I am. He worshiped. That's what we do in the presence of the great I am. That's what the disciples did. It is the right response of every believer to worship him. But don't miss their confession. This is major. We've been 14 chapters now. 14 chapters, chapters through the gospel of Matthew. And this is the first time we have heard this confession from the lips of his disciples. Yes, we heard it in Matthew 3. There at the baptism, the father spoke and said, This Jesus, he is my son. With him I am well pleased. 
It wasn't soon after that a few verses later, at the beginning of chapter 4, we heard Satan snarling and sneering, if you are the Son of God. It was in Matthew chapter 8 that the demon-possessed man, the demons literally spoke and said, we know who you are, you are the Son of God. But now it's 14 chapters in, and for the very first time, something happens here so profound in this miracle account The disciples make this confession for the first time. Truly, you are what? The Son of God. It's a major moment in Matthew. We cannot miss it. Something, again, is happening so powerful. Why? Because, listen, now acknowledge this for a moment. They're confessing He's the Son of God. Guys, they're saying a man in the flesh is God. That is blasphemous. That is high treason. But that is the truth. He is indeed the Son of God. Might they have passages like this in their mind? Psalm seventy-seven, nineteen: Your ways were through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. That's who God of the Old Testament is. Habakkuk 3 and 15 maybe is ruminating in their hearts and minds. You trample the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Or maybe one of the most profound in light of this water-walking God in the flesh. Job chapter 9, verse 8. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. The point is, if Jesus is doing only what God can do, then Jesus must be God. Are you convinced? Are you worshiping him as such? You see, none of us here like storms. But I think storms do something unique in our lives. It was in Matthew 7 that Jesus told the parable about the two men who built the house, one upon the rock and one upon the what? And do you remember what Jesus said? What revealed their foundation? It was the storm. Guess what? It's the same in your life and my life. What's going to reveal our, our, our foundations, our life rafts, so to speak? It's going to be storms, isn't it? I mean, like, if your pursuit in this life is beauty, then guess what? The storm of aging is coming your way. If your pursuit in this life is, like, riches and this great career, there's, like... The coronavirus, or there's like stiffer competition, right? If your, your life is being built upon true love, then what do you do when there's no dates or rejection? That storm hits. I think the reminder is in that and so many other areas, beloved, listen, there's only one foundation that will stand and the storms of life often reveal the true foundation in our lives. We've got to confess and acknowledge that all of us here, we've been holding on to the long, right, long, wrong life rafts. It's the storm that tell us and compel us. We must come to the Son of God. He is the water walker. He is the great I am. He is the merciful Savior. He is the Son of God. Today, would you come and confess Him, crying out, Lord, save me. Today, as a believer, would you come and worship your king? I pray you will. Let's pray. Father, in the strong name of Christ, we come. Thanking you for Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Today, may you speak truth and life to every person here, especially those who are in the midst of such a great storm. I pray these words have been a a tender moment of love to them, to let them know there is a God even when our faith stumbles, who loves to reach out His hand and save us. Strengthen them, Lord. Sustain the brothers and sisters in this room who are struggling. Help us be faithful to walk beside them. For those in this room who do not know Your Son, they have not confessed Him as Savior and Lord. 
Father, I pray that this hour they would come and bow just like the disciples in that boat saying, You are the Son of God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.